Hey, folks, welcome to the Encuentros Latinx podcast, where we explore stories of spirituality, identity, and culture from Latinx perspectives. My name is Taylor Amaj. I'm an author and editor, and I'm Puerto Rican. This podcast is a project of Encuentros Latinx, an LGBTQ ministry in the United Church of Christ. Regular listeners will know that one question I ask all of my guests is how they relate to the term Latinx. Well, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had her own thoughts in this article that I found from June 2022. The headline says, Ocasio-Cortez in mini-rant criticizes Democrats for railing against Latinx term. AOC is criticizing members of her own party who have argued that using gender-neutral language to describe members of the Hispanic American community is bad for the Democratic Party's brand. She says, I also have a mini-rant about this because there are some politicians, including Democratic politicians, that rail against the term Latinx, and they're like, this is so bad for the party. She goes on to say, it's almost like it hasn't struck some of these folks that another person's identity is not about your re-election prospects. Gender is fluid, language is fluid, and I think people right now are using the eh term as a gender-neutral way to be as inclusive as possible. Don't have to make drama over it. The article goes on to say that some Democrats have been using more gender-neutral language in reaching out to Hispanic voters which is noted by pollsters and political observers. And this little bit at the end of this excerpt that I'm looking at says, a recent Politico poll conducted among Hispanic voters found 40% indicating the term Latinx bothers or offends them to some degree, and 30% said they would be less likely to support a politician or organization that uses the term. I think that is very Interesting to keep in mind because while it seems that most people who come on this podcast are open to the term, there is a lot of resistance to it if we are to take these numbers as they are. And I think it speaks to the importance of creating spaces for our people to talk about this language and to try to understand where it comes from, what its purpose is, and to have that narrative not co-opted by folks that want to make up stories about what it is and what it's for and misrepresents what it's trying to do. So I thought that was an interesting find in the news lately, but um, AOC, if you're listening to this, Let's get in touch. Let's get you on the podcast. That would be super rad, wouldn't it, to have AOC on Encuentros Latinx. I'm speaking it into the universe, and knowing that there are UCC people listening to this, I might be eating my words in a few months. Who knows? But in any case, today's guest, though, is Ilan Carlos, and we delve deeply into discussion about music and spirituality He talks about how his transition made him more attuned, pun intended, to music's effect on people. It's a long one and a good one, so let's get right into this encuentro.
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Can you introduce us by giving us your name and pronouns? Hi, everyone. My name is Ilan Carlos. My pronouns are him, he, his, and in, and in Spanish, él. Amazing. And what country or countries do you and your family come from? Well, I'm from Puerto Rico, from a town called Caguas, right in the middle and heart of Puerto Rico. Beautiful island. Mm, yes, I, I have some extended family in Caguas. Um, and it, it is a beautiful place, the center of the island. It's not quite the mountains yet, but it's kind of the beginning um, in some parts. And it's absolutely lovely. So what is a good memory that you have about that, about your community growing up, your family, um, anything like that? Well, here in Puerto Rico, family is such a very important thing. We value family a lot, especially our extended family. Uh, we are very close to our cousins, aunts, grandparents, even second cousins and second aunts. And, and we can get together. And in my family in particular, our tradition is music. So we get together to sing, to play together. And it's a great memory of every time I have those memories are it's just a great time of bonding. No matter how different we all are, we we all are some are scientists, some are artists, some are ministers, but we can all sit down and enjoy music together. Uh, and that's something beautiful that from my family and from Puerto Rico in general. Yeah, uh, music is also kind of a major part of my life too, although I get it from my dad's side, actually. He's not where I get the Puerto Rican things from, but he get, he's where I get the music from. And so I think we'll probably have a lot of fun talking a bit about music. But yeah, I grew up, um, my dad would have live band practice in my basement he did, he was in a soul group. He mostly did like soul and um, a little bit of like old rock and things like that. But it's just, it's something different to be always surrounded by live music. I mean, listening to yes. recorded music and CDs and albums and things like that, that's awesome. But it's just, I, I think about sometimes how none of my other friends had parents who were musicians in the way my dad was. And it's a pretty unique experience to grow up with people constantly coming over and you're hearing live music all the time in your house. It's a very, it was so normal for me, but that's yes. not everybody's experience at all. And to see the rehearsal process mm -hmm. live. Yes. Knowing that it doesn't, the performance doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. There are rehearsals beforehand and, and rehearsals can be fun. Mm -hmm. You see how, how we can get together and play and make jokes and, and I grew up, my dad used to do the same thing. He would practice at home or we would go with him to where we, he would practice. And he used to play a lot of old time music like boleros, what we call boleros or trios, which is old time Puerto Rico, Hibaro music mm -hmm. or more like uh, more romantic style music. And it's not the music the 90s kids were listening to but <laughs> right. that was the songs I knew by heart mm -hmm. and I would be in school in elementary school singing boleros about uh you know loving someone so much that you you know you, you would give your life for them and and I was four years old singing something mm -hmm. like that but <laughs> but it but it was amazing it, it creates sensibility mm -hmm. it creates sensitivity 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not just my dad who who plays music. Kind of like like you. There's several members of my family who play music, and even on, on my mom's side, um, the Boricua side, my my tío he he would play. He used to play uh, congos in the um, in a and he used to do a lot of salsa uh, in in Puerto Rico. So even on, on that side, and when when I was younger, and we would all go to Puerto Rico. My dad and my tío, they always loved hanging out together because they would just start playing music together. And it was uh, it was always fun to just kind of see them chill out and to have to have music on both sides of my family, for sure. Um, so music what, is an equalizer. Yes, absolutely. So what what instruments do like some of the names of the instruments in your family that different people play? Well, we mostly all sing. Mm-hmm. If we don't play an instrument, we sing. Mm-hmm. But my dad plays the guitar, the piano, the organ. Uh, my sister plays the handbells. I'm a percussionist. Uh, I have an undergrad in percussion, but I also play the guitar and I'm a singer. Uh, we have guitarists, we have pianists, we have a little bit of everything, but mostly we all sing. So just if we don't have any instruments around, we can get some maracas or mm-hmm. something like that and we just sing. That's that's amazing. So this term, this term Latinx, what is, I guess, what is your experience of it? Maybe what's the, when did you first started hearing it? And what was your thought about this term? And has that changed over time? Is it something that you relate to, something you struggle with, especially since, um, since you're on, you're on the island and Latinx seems to be very heavily used in a in the diaspora for a lot of Latinx people. So I'm curious to hear your experience of this term. Well, the first time I heard the term Latinx was actually in college while I was doing my undergrad. And it wasn't really hearing it, it was seeing it written. Mm-hmm. Because in Spanish, you cannot pronounce the X as a sound when you're trying to read. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to read it in Spanish, it'll be Latinx. Mm-hmm. There's no way to pronounce the X with a vowel. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So at first it was a term that was confusing to me, but I was starting to study and research the non-binary gender identities because I myself was questioning my identity, my gender identity at that time. So in that research, I found the use of the X, why they, why we use the X. So we are not binary. We are not excluding anyone from, from one side or the other. And we're not assuming that one person is one side or the other, and it has to be black and white. I, I do. I may label myself as Latinx in a general term. If we use it as an umbrella term, as a as a general term, I I agree with it and, and I would describe myself as Latinx. If we go to the specific, me being a trans man, I consider myself Latino because the label goes a little more specific. It's not just, well, 
the umbrella term or just speaking about our community in general, I'm speaking about me and how I view myself. And since I do view myself as a trans man, as a man, I do not see myself as being non-binary. I don't describe myself specifically, specifically myself as Latinx. If I were to speak generally about the community, about being trans, I would use it because it's the inclusive term and it's the way to be respectful of who is listening out there. But if I'm talking about my experience, my writings, my poetry, my songwriting, everything, I do not use Latinx, I use Latino because I'm going to the specific. That's kind of the way I view the term. But I see it used more in the, in the diaspora mm -hmm. because I, there is that sense of minority mm -hmm. for being Latino or Latina, Latinx. Mm -hmm. uh, there is that sense of minority here where we are the minority, mm -hmm. we all are. Mm -hmm. So we can be more specific mm -hmm. if we were speaking uh, in, the, in the US, well, then uh, the term, I understand it, I, and I use it a lot more because I understand those idiosyncrasies that, that separate Puerto Rico from, from the U.S. in that mm -hmm. manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so given that, actually, well, I have a couple of follow-up questions. I'll go, I'll go with this one first. Given that you are on, you are in Puerto Rico, as opposed to in the in the diaspora, my understanding, a lot of my encounters with folks who are still in their various countries in Latin America tend to identify more so as the country that they're from, as opposed to using Latino Latinx uh, to begin with. Do you find that true in in your communities there on the island, or do you find that it's kind of maybe a mixture of both, or what, what is it that you experience? Boricuas are Boricuas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we are Boricuas, and we're Boricuas even on the moon. Aunque nacer en la luna. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> the term Latino we use when we have to fill the census, and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, we really don't use it unless it's on official government forms that make us label ourselves mm -hmm. because for us uh, even when we have to put country we want to put puerto rico mm -hmm. we can't we don't we put usa uh, and then territory mm -hmm. that's another issue yep. but uh <laughs> we're not going there uh <laughs> but even then that's where you get to be labeled latino mm -hmm. if you were to ask any puerto rican living on the island and even in the diaspora, mm -hmm. where are you from? They will say, I'm Boricua. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I find, I find that pretty true too. And then, I mean, being in the, in the diaspora myself, it's like Boricua is a term, like I, I use it, but when I'm talking outside of you know, other other Latinx people, they know Boricua. They know what I mean when I say that. But people that are not Latinx still don't know that. So then like, oh, yeah, I'm I, and I'm like you. I'm fine with 
using Latinx as let's talk about our general community. But then when I'm talking about myself specifically, I'll say, oh, I'm I'm Latina because I, I am a, a woman, cis woman using she, her. That's what so that's the term that I would use for my individual self. And that is to me, that's that is a pretty reasonable line to to draw like hey there we can have this general term we can have the specific term and yet there is still so much hostility toward the term and so my next question to you is have you encountered people who are hostile to this to using this term and if so what sort of conversations have you had with people who are very like not understanding they don't want to use it like that sort of thing here in Puerto Rico, especially, it's not only the Latinx term, it's any term with the X. Mm -hmm. uh, or in Spanish, we replace the X with an E. So it's a vowel and it has a sound so we can read it. Mm -hmm. If we were writing it, we, we write the X. But when we read it, we read it as an E. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Latinx, you would say Latines. Mm -hmm. But in Puerto Rico, it's more not just Latinx, it's any word that is using the X as a way to include and be inclusive. And you see it in the media, you see it criticized, you see it criticized on the news that until the, the Real Academia Española says that it's a real word, and it's in the dictionary, mm -hmm. then we can use it. When language is not that way. If we look back, language, if it's evolution, it adapts with the use of it. If you do not use it, it's never gonna be in a dictionary because it doesn't exist. So the I, I just think those words create that conflict because they make you think and they make you think out of the box and they make you think that what you were taught when you were at school in first grade and learning how to write and read and how to use pronouns that it was only two pronouns and it was one way or the other and now this is forcing you to break open that box and to unlearn what you learned before and that was enforced for so many years that you think it's the absolute truth and unchanging when life is changing life is changed nothing is unchanging not even not even language so i just think that's the that dichotomy that we are in it's the trying to there's a group trying to preserve the old value traditions which is the binary view and there's the group that it's not that we don't like the binary view it's not that we reject it in its entirety that it cannot exist we just say they are gray areas and those should be included too and that in Puerto Rico, that's a little bit difficult because mm -hmm. there's also a very religious, uh, deep religious aspect to it because mm -hmm. everything in politics is also religious. 
and everything religious is also politic. And in that way, all these topics that are great fodder and great uh, topics for controversy in religious areas become spread out and become areas, groups become villainized and and the only way to to combat that is by opening up in places like this and saying it mm-hmm. that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Very well said, and and a great segue into the next topic because I would love to hear about your experiences with spirituality and religion. What sorts of traditions and practices did did you grow up in? How has that changed? over time, um, especially with, uh, with your, uh, any identity formations that you want to talk about in relation to spirituality, like give us your journey. Well, I was born and raised Baptist, American Baptist, uh, from the churches of La Iglesia Bautista de Puerto Rico. It was, uh, that's a denomination. The biggest, the bigger denomination, the headquarters is the ABC churches, the American Baptist churches. But in Puerto Rico, we have the American Baptist churches of Puerto Rico. I'm a member of the American Baptist churches of Puerto Rico. And I have been there my whole life. I was raised there. I began serving there from since I was a child, five years old, maybe even younger, singing. That was my ministry whenever they asked for me to sing, I would sing. I was. I would never say no. Uh, but there was something in me that told me, like, I wanted to do more. It's not just singing. I, I, I have this feeling for more. And I knew that I had a higher call, a bigger calling than just singing. But yet, as the years passed, something in me told me, like, you're not going to be able to to reach that. Uh, I, I felt the calling to pastor, but something in me told me like, you're not gonna be able to, to, to get to that. So I just put it aside and locked it away. And, and I never even thought about it for debt for even more than 10 years. But as I graduated high school, I graduated high school still with my dead name, assigned female at birth. Uh, I went to college and to my undergraduate in music. And then there was when I started to think about myself and seeing different people that weren't part of the same groups that I was always in. I was always either in church or in school and the school was the church's school. So not very much diversity there. So when I got to college, it was pretty much a shock to see that the diversity that was there. And I started noticing I'm different. I don't know what it is, but I'm different. Uh, I started reading and suddenly I, I just came to the, to the realization that light bulb moment, I like women. <laughs> I thought in Puerto Rico, we say jamona, when we talk about a woman who stays single for the for all of her life. And that was who I thought I was gonna be. I was gonna be that aunt 
that that spinster aunt that stays you know single forever and because i never felt any of that jittery feeling when i was in junior high or high school never but then i got to college and i see my classmates that are girls and then i start getting the jitters so now we have to work on this and see what what this is and believe it or not i was 20 by then i knew gay people existed i have a cousin who who is and in a long-term relationship i had never seen a lesbian couple in my 20 years and at that moment i didn't know that was possible so now I had a name for it because I researched it. I, now I was seeing a psychologist. I was just a mess <laughs> trying to join what I was taught to believe and what I felt in my heart. And that started my deep dive into the Bible and my deep dive into different books uh, especially uh, one, God and the Gay Christian by Austin Hartke. Because I came out to my family as lesbian at first. <laughs> to me, I, I didn't even ha have the, the term trans in my head. I didn't even know it. How was I going to know I, that was what I was? Or that was the, the name? for what, what I was experiencing. Surprisingly, my family took it very well. Most of them told me we knew it. <laughs> we saw it coming. <laughs> we were just waiting for you. <laughs> but when I started noticing, I, I'm still not comfortable. I'm still not comfortable. And I'm more comfortable now that I'm with a woman as a partner but I'm still not comfortable. I, I don't feel comfortable being called girlfriend, for, for example. And my girlfriend would say, no, yeah, that would like to. Uh, mm. <laughs> and that started, okay, let's do some introspection. Let's reflect what's going on. And I remember me being three years old, looking in the mirror, and hiding my long hair behind inside my shirt my t-shirt so i didn't have to look at it being long hmm. and i remember playing with my cousins who who are 10 years older than me eight years older than me male cousins they were, and we would play the the flintstones but i was i was always barney I was never Velma or <laughs> we would play Star Wars and I was Luke Skywalker and he would be Han Solo and I, it, was, it, it was always there, it was always there. I just, and I always thought I want to be a boy when I grow up. I thought that, that I was going to be able to do that, like when I, like a job. When I grow up, I want to be a boy. Uh, but when you're four years old, you don't know better than that. But then you start in school and you, they start telling you, well, cross your legs. Little girls don't sit that way. So I started, you know, 
repressing those. But when I finally got to the point of accepting it, it really created a conflict because here there is this faith that I believe in wholeheartedly. And nothing that I find in the Bible, nothing that I find in my research says that I'm wrong. Nothing. I can't find anything. I go to leaders, uh, religious leaders, and they say the same thing. There's nothing wrong. I only had one that said, just don't bring your girlfriend to, to church. Hmm. <laughs> so people don't see. Uh, but no, those are the minority. But most of them told me, there's nothing in the Bible that says you're wrong. Just pray that God gives you the confidence to do what you feel is the right choice for you, what you think God is pushing you to go. And I started thinking about the, the Bible verse that talks about the, the tree that bears good fruit. And I started looking at my life through that lens. I, me being the tree, my actions, and seeing the fruit of my actions. When I started accepting myself as who I was, my ministry became stronger. More people were coming to me without knowing what I was going through because I did it very slowly and People in church never really noticed until well, facial hair, facial hair, and the <laughs> and the voice change. But before that, they just thought, okay, changing their clothes, changing their wardrobe, changing their hair. They're just changing their style. That's it. Then they're changing their name. Okay, they're changing their name, but still. And even then, hearing me sing with my new voice, with the voice that I always wanted when I was a kid, that I dreamed I would always have, that I would watch Disney movies and think I want to sound like, like the prince. I finally sound like the prince. And seeing how much closer that brought me to God and my relationship with him became even more connected because I hit rock bottom and when you hit rock bottom and you find the light that God is that changes everything and my rock bottom was literally literally rock bottom I I was giving up and I had tried to give up many times and that last time, it was, I felt like God came to me and said, like, what are you doing? Hmm. Aren't, you, like, aren't you seeing time and time again you do this? But I stop you. Some way or somehow, I stop you. Someone calls you. Someone interrupts you. Someone, I stop you. And still you insist. And that got me to thinking, well, if I'm still here, I'm still here for a purpose. And I'm still here the way that I am, the way that God made me. So he must have a plan for me. He must have 
something he wants to do with me. I have no idea what it is. I probably might never know, but I'm still here because he wanted it to be so. And I gave myself to him and I told him, wherever you send me, I will go. But I will go as genuine as I can. And I made a vow to myself and I even told my parents because we, my family all goes to the same church, so I knew there might be some rumors and, and stuff. And I said, I'm not gonna separate my personal life from my life in church. I prefer to be loved but not liked in church than be a hypocrite and be loved by everyone there. Because at the end of the day and at the end of your life, it's not pleasing the congregation that I'm aspiring to. There's only one person I have that judges, that has, that has the right to judge me and, and will judge me when that day comes. But until that day, in my research, in my study of the Bible, in my study of my actions, and I see that the fruit of my actions are, in, are bringing people to the church, are bringing people to God, then I think I'm, I must not be doing something wrong. This, this isn't wrong. I'm not wrong. And the Bible reinforces that. We were made in God's image. Be, be that man, Male, female, non-binary, intersexual, God, you are made in God's image. Because, because God doesn't have a gender. Amen. I, there's so much of, of your story that is just, it's, it's impactful, it's, it's real. I love a couple of, of images that just are really sticking with me. This idea of the the tree that bears good fruit the the fruits of of anything that is a basic litmus test that i use as well to sort of ascertain the theological rightness or wrongness of any given thing and when i look at the fruits born of transgender folks living into themselves and um you know em- embracing their their journeys transitioning and all of the ways that they may feel they need to, whatever that might look like for each person. When um, when other queer folks live into the fullness of the types of relationships that help them feel fulfilled or not in the case of our asexual friends. Um, I, so looking at the fruits of those things, what I see is people who find their healing, people who find uh, more compassion and empathy in life, people who are just very loving and very secure in themselves. When I look at the fruits of the people who preach homophobic and transphobic rhetoric, the the people who choose to support legislations that um, exclude and take away health care from people, all of that stuff, when I when I look at the fruits of of those actions, I see death. Um, I see spiritual death. I see physical death. And if the Bible is telling us to 
judge actions by their fruits or whatever the exact language there is. Um, I really think that's sometimes folks need to really take a step back and say, okay, I have this human prejudice about XYZ type of person existing and living and being. What is, but I'm looking at, at their actions and what is coming about from their actions. Your Muslim neighbors in your, in your community who have, they're just living their lives um, and, mm-hmm. and doing, doing their thing. What, what is the fruit of, of what they're doing that makes it so that your and I'm, I'm not saying you, Elon, I'm saying like, but, but what is that, what is it that they're doing that makes your reticence with, um, with Islam and Muslim people, like what is, what is it that they're doing that makes that justified? And if you can't really find anything that makes that justified, that should say to you, Hey, maybe I, maybe I've been right. Exactly. But just the, the logical thought process should be, you know, let's, let's use this what is the fruit born to work ourselves through to reevaluate? Yes. Yes. Cause I I've done that in myself for, for a lot of, a lot of different things. Like one example is, um, is with polyamory. Like I myself personally am not polyamorous. It's, it's not a situation that I would look for, for my own personal relationships. But when I, when I have spoken with people who are, who, who are, and I, what I do is I, I don't like, I don't, I don't judge just because it's not what I personally want to want to do. In, instead, what I do um, is I listen to my poly friends and I, and I, I, I ask them about their relationships, just like you would at, like catch up with your friend and be like, Oh, Hey, how's this person that you're, that you're seeing? Like, what's, what's up with that? And just, it's better to approach with an attitude of curiosity and then, whatever sort of uncomfortable feelings you have about someone else's reality to, to work through that. What is the, what is the fruit of of that relationship or of that, um, of what that person is doing? The, the fruits of my friends who are in poly relationships, I see, I see my friends who are in those relationships. They are much more confident in themselves because that's something that they have figured out for for what what they need. And so it doesn't really matter what I might think about it. All that really matters for me is like, okay, well, um, it does. It's just it it's not what them, I'm. It, it works, works for them. them. It works for them exactly, exactly. And it should. And to just not get so hung up because God created the whole entire universe, like literally all the stardust in outer space. And it just blows my mind to kind of think about like of all the things for God to care about, God created all the stardust. And you really think God is going to hone in on. And to that point, <laughs> to that point, look at the Bible. And we, if we, if we do identify as Christians, yeah, yes, we read the whole Bible. The whole Bible has importance, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But if we're trying to live as a Christian, we're trying to live in a Christ-like way. Where do we have that example? In the New Testament, where Christ is, <laughs> not in the Old Testament. And you see, or you can read, that God, the Jesus, I'm sorry, everything that he saw that would be a detriment to faith, to humanity, to society, 
to the human being at heart, to the dignity of the human being. He said it so. He said it. Mm -hmm. And even as harsh as to go into the temple and and go and throw the tables off and, and do all that mess. Did he say anything <laughs> about gender identity? Did he say anything about sexual orientation? Did he say anything about, about how you love? He said love. And that's where I think when we take, when we listen to these fundamentalists talk about this very, very strict way of thinking, and, and we see it coming out in legislatures where we're denying abortion rights, uh, we're denying all these stuff, all these things that abortion rights are not only for women, they're also for trans men. Mm -hmm. People don't think, don't always think about that. Yep. And even being legal, being a trans man and going to a clinic, like it, it, it's dangerous. Imagine if it were illegal. But in, in that case, I just, the fruit always has to be the priority. Mm -hmm. That's what you look at. Mm -hmm. And when you see people that are spouting out these words of, that you know are just to create conflict and to be loud because in the end it just turns to noise. The problem is that when everything is noise, when do you know what to pay attention to? Right. And if everything you're hearing is how are these stereotypes of trans people that trans uh, women are going into the bathroom to do things to your children uh, or that uh, trans men are really lesbian, butch lesbians who are trying to gain male power and dominance. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I really don't get that point yet, that, that point of view. I still don't get it <laughs> because we're a minority of, my, of a minority. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, but you see them use these topics to create that conflict, but that conflict, all it does is further people from what they say they're trying to accomplish. They say they're trying to bring people closer to God, closer to the way God wants us to live and Jesus wants us to live and, and portrayed for us to live. Yet they pick and choose verses and out of context because they don't cite the whole thing. They take what's very specific, out of context, and they spout it off and it's hate. And it's, and if there's one thing that my mother taught me, my mother was a uh, religion teacher at, uh, at the school I went to, was that you never use the Bible, you never use God's word to hurt someone, never even when you think you know the answer, and even when you know the exact Bible verse to, 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 to do a comeback to them, mm -hmm. the Bible is not to attack mm -hmm. anyone. And if we want to look at a, a model, Jesus Christ is our model. 
And what he did, if we summarize everything he did, was treat every, every single human being, human being, with the same dignity they deserve. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're called to do. I think that's what he, what Jesus is trying to tell us when he says, love, 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 love thy neighbor as, love, as you love thyself. Mm -hmm. and, and that love is the most important, and that is the most important commandment. Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing things in love, and that's a quote, I forget who said that. If you do something in love, love and do anything you want. Mm -hmm. That's a quote. Love and do anything you want. Mm -hmm. It's not free will like, oh my God, let's go and uh, have a field day. No, it's love and do what you want because if you're truly loving, like Jesus taught us to love, you don't hurt. You don't cause pain. You don't steal like the Ten Commandments. You don't break those if you're loving. True love. Mm -hmm. If you are doing that, you you're good. And your fruits, the fruits of your labor, if you are doing your labor, your actions with love, will be good. Love is the key. Mm -hmm. God is love. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to delve more into that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, even even another just another way to, to think about it is is like. If you're going to if your church, if a church is having theology that is exclusionary. Then. You're like you're literally cutting off the word of God from from people. And is that really what you want to be doing by, by having a theology that you might think is traditional, but is actually probably only 50 years old because fundamentalism likes to pretend that it's traditional, but it's really not. It's actually like the, one of the newest um, ways yes. of doing Christianity. Um, I'm a big advocate for people. If we're going to have a religion like Christianity to have access to the knowledge of its history and to be in, involved in learning about that. Uh, but of, of course there's issues with, the accessibility of the education and the, you know, some of the, some of these textbooks I have are like uh, pretty written in, in a way that can be inaccessible for people to understand the the ideas, but that's kind of a, a different tangent. The, the point being is, is like, if, if the fruit of any theology that you're preaching in, in your communities is, is driving people away, then the fruit is like, oh, people are cut off from the word of God and it's, uh, it's, it's shriveled up. And so you're going on in reverse. Yeah. If, if that's what you're trying to do and that's what you're doing to gain that you're going in reverse, you're fighting yourself mm -hmm. because if you're, if what you really want to do is bring people closer to God, then you should be more inclusive though. We must be careful. Being inclusive, too inclusive, can sometimes feel exclusive to those who aren't minorities. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance there that you mm -hmm. need to keep. But that balance comes from respect. And 
I think if there is one place where we can be different and have divergent thoughts and opinions and differing ways of analyzing or thinking about something, yet still coming together for a mutual, uh, a mutual good, to do a mutual good for, the, for society, for the world, for the people around us, it's in church, it's in churches. Mm-hmm. Because that's where you can get people who are, some are low class, maybe low income class, some are high income class, maybe some are immigrants, some are have, were, were born there, some are new to the church, some were born in the church. You get all these experiences and their life experiences that they bring with them from their families and the diversity in their families and the diversity in their jobs and their work and their careers and their studies. And sometimes I, I see fundamentalist church, churches like try to minimize that when if you, if you accept that, your church will grow. It's going to be the opposite. And I am glad that I had the opportunity of seeing uh, some of the fruits of my labor and that to really reassure me I'm doing the right thing, to be like a sign saying, from God saying, like, okay, I'm, I'm on the right path. I worked with LGBTQ youth uh, in support groups and having them come to me specifically with their questions about, okay, now I transitioned. I want to go back to church. How do I do it? Mm-hmm. Or I'm in the process or I already transitioned, but in my church, my pastor doesn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Or my pastor went into my house and threw out all my clothes. Mm. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I'm going through the same thing, yet I'm having to counsel the, these, this, these young people. Mm-hmm. And that brought me to question my leaders as well. Like, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, are, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And my, one of my pastors and a great mentor told me, you don't see it, but it happened with you, referring to me, mm-hmm. when, you started, when I started my transition. And she would always answer them with a question instead of a statement. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't be defensive or dismissive or of what she was going to say. If they came to them, to, to them as saying something like, we don't believe uh, Ilan Carlos should be in the pulpit singing. Mm-hmm. Because this is not what we prove, whatever, that's not a good testimony, that's not bearing witness, mm-hmm. which I think is the total opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would say, they would say to them, do you prefer Ilan Carlos being singing at some dive bar, songs about being drunk and being, or do you prefer him singing here and ministering mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. And they would say, oh, no, 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 I prefer him singing here. Right. <laughs> and and the, that would disarm them. Or was, why, why, why do we still let him be a member? Mm-hmm. And, she, and they would say to them, 
Do you prefer he spends Sundays at a at, at, at whatever alley, just trying to to spend the time, or do you prefer him to be in the church, listening to to God's word? No, let him come. Let him come. Mm -hmm. And they think they came to the realization all by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a way of dealing with it without being to combat without feeling combative, because mm -hmm. a lot of times. If you go too hard or, or you go with facts, people tend to get defensive mm -hmm. and just don't listen. And maybe it's time we start changing that way that we approach uh, the the transphobic, the transphobics, the homophobics, mm -hmm. and instead of telling them things, because even though I agree, education is the best way. But, but instead of just telling them, them things and bombarding them with information, why don't we ask them questions? Mm -hmm. Like, why does it make you so uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Why? Right. And, and that's a great conversation starter. You started mm -hmm. there. The other person says whatever it brings into their mind. And you can have a respectful conversation about a very very tedious topic mm -hmm. but you can do it without anyone getting hurt or anyone feeling judged mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that is such a helpful and practical tool to have and, and to try to remember and it takes work to remember that approach in the moment too because sometimes you can be caught off guard with you know somebody saying something and it you know to to take that step back and say, let me chill and do the question thing. It, it can be, it can be a challenge, but I, I agree with you that it is extremely helpful and it allows people, because I think this is another, another way of, of saying what you were saying too. People don't like to feel like they're stupid. And sometimes, like you said, if you come at people with a lot of facts and a lot of information in response to, to them saying something ignorant, it can come across as you wielding your knowledge and education against them. And this is especially getting into class issues and, you know, yeah. however, and I'm not patronizing. It right. Can feel patronizing. Right. And I'm not saying that, that everybody who has a, like, who might have a bigoted opinion is necessarily not, educated because there are plenty of people who have bachelors and masters and PhDs who who espouse some of that same stuff. But the point that I'm trying to make though is is that it can absolutely seem like you're it can come across as you're wielding knowledge that you've had because of opportunities that you've had that maybe the other person hasn't. If you know you're you're going about like I'm just going to bombard with like a list of of facts and this this one theological interpretation based on the scholarship of this guy and that and that guy that can be some people would love to hear all about that because they're nerds but then other people might feel really intimidated and, and they might feel like oh well I I mean I didn't I didn't know that and I feel stupid now for not knowing that's all that stuff before so it can be it that can was my be, approach yeah. mm -hmm. to church in general when I was doing my when I was transitioning how do I engage with my church community That is basically my family because they're the people who have been there through surgeries. 
mm -hmm. uh, illnesses, uh, birthdays, quinceañero, mm -hmm. uh, everything. They've been there. Concerts, mm -hmm. my concerts, different things. They've always been there. So it's they are they are a part of my family. When I talk to my psychologist about when I divulge my identity, they were part of that equation, even though he was like, I don't know if you should still be, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that is a safe place for you. Mm -hmm. But I, I told him they're important to me. They're my family. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't do a coming out thing. I never did anything like that. I just, I started my transition mm -hmm. just as that. Mm -hmm. And I, as I started looking a little bit more androgynous mm -hmm. because of the way I was dressing before I started the hormones and everything, people started getting an idea that something's going on. I don't know what, but something is happening. So it didn't get them off, caught them off guard. It didn't caught them off guard. Mm -hmm. they, they, they saw something happening. And then they saw it keep growing and keep going and keep going until the point when I I'm the conductor of a woman's choir in my mm -hmm. church and we had a concert and when they presented the director of the women's choir, Ilan Carlos Pabellón, mm -hmm. the first time they said my name in church, mm -hmm. they didn't use my dead name. Mm -hmm. And I remember a member of the congregation coming to me after the concert, giving me a big, a big hug not someone I usually have a lot of conversation with, but gave me a big hug and said, I'm so happy they finally used your real name. Mm. That's the, Those were his words, not your new name, mm -hmm. your real name. Mm. And I thought to myself, okay, people are noticing. I'm not doing anything to, to be forward, too forward, because I'm not, I don't want to push people. That's not my that's not what I want. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but I do want to be genuine. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to compromise myself being myself being for your comfort. If you're uncomfortable, then walk away, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to change. This is who I am. So the church got to see those slow steps, mm -hmm. but I was confronted, uh, not, directly to me, but to the pastor with a, with a question that was completely, it was about me completely. And you could, it, it didn't use my name, but it was implied. Everything, mm -hmm. every single detail. Would you, and I remember it, would you let a person who has, like they say, come out of the closet, and I was like, check, mm -hmm. and lives their life fully, openly, like, check. And it's also in a ministry in this church. And I was like, check, that's also me. Mm -hmm. And it's also leadering a ministry, check, that's mm -hmm. me. Would you still let that person participate? And I was like, this, this person is talking about me. She doesn't like me. And I, know, mm -hmm. and I, and I don't know who she is. Mm -hmm. This is a church of more than 300 people. I, they see me. I don't see everybody. Mm -hmm. But I had to think. How do I react? And it was in an assembly. The whole church was there. And I was like, how do I direct? How do I react? My, my aunt is in one side. My uncle is here. My mother's behind me. How do I maneuver this? I almost left. I was like, no, this is getting too personal. Like, I'm going to go. 
I'm going to make sure I'm, I feel safe. But I thought, no, because the, the reason for the question was not to have me out of the church in a, or inside of the church because she was, that person was saying that they were going to leave the church if I stayed. So the decision of who was staying or going was theirs, not mine. Mm -hmm. But I felt it, so I felt if I left, it would still give her the, what she wanted. Mm -hmm. I would leave. Mm -hmm. That's what she wanted with the question, make, to make either the pastor or me uncomfortable and have to put us in a situation where we had to answer on the spot in front of the whole congregation. If I leave, this sends a sign that she got, that that person got to me. Mm -hmm. And that whatever that person is saying, I might believe some of it is true and that I might not deserve to be um, in a ministry or because I left and I felt bad about it. But I had to think about it. I had to take few, a few deep breaths and collect myself and look around and see reaffirming faces, people that surprisingly enough were not my mother, father, or my sibling. We're my aunts, my uncles, uh, other members of the congregation that I barely talked to who were looking at me like, don't go, stay, like we're here for you. Some of them even came to me like, we're here. Don't go anywhere. This is just it's one person out of a hundred. So mm -hmm. you're okay. Mm -hmm. But it happens. And you have to take a moment to realize how you're going to react. Because the first thought is protect yourself. So for me, the first thought, thought was leave. You know, this is attacking who I am as a person and who I am as a Christian. Not only who I am as a person, who I am as a Christian and as a, a person who is serving the Lord. Mm -hmm. That person is trying to put the value of my service on my identity, on my gender identity. Mm -hmm. And it and 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 they are attaching it like they are mutually exclusive. I cannot. It, it cannot be. You cannot be the Christian and part of the LGBTQ community as well. Mm -hmm. Or you can't be a pastor and be part of the community as well, or even support mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. But slowly you learn to have those pre-answers. Mm -hmm. And that's what I teach when I have these young trans guys come to me with, for advice about coming back to church or talking to their leaders about their transition and and how to talk with their friends at church after they've transitioned i always tell them come from a genuine place come come from you from who you are because they will notice and that's what i've that's largely the feedback i've gotten which is people coming to me, people who I've never talked to, just telling me, now I finally know you. Now I finally get you. Because there was a mask before. Mm -hmm. Now there's no mask. 
people think it's the other way that now that I started looking different, now this is the other person. The other person was the person they knew for 25 years mm -hmm. because it was an act. That's why I'm a good actor. <laughs> and, I, and I do plays and I'm, an, I'm a good actor because I acted every single day. Mm. Man. Well, there, there, there you go. I, I'm, do want to get into a little bit just about about music and spirituality because I feel like that is such an important thing. I, I mean, on a, on a philosophical, lately, yeah, with the documentaries going on, even more so about how the music is used in in church. Mm -hmm. uh, music is a very powerful thing. I think of it as a living, living breathing thing. Mm -hmm. Music can connect us. Music can disconnect us. Music can bring us close. And music can create conflict. Because music in its definition, if we go to the physics of it, not even mm -hmm. the lyrics and how it sounds, the physics of it, which is vibration, you feel something, your body feels something because it's, it's vibration. And it's the same way you see new school preachers coming out, being very evocative, very uh, almost like um, self-help, mm -hmm. like they are very emotional and they want to bring you to an emotional place. And they what they what they used to do then music, mm -hmm. because music can bring you to that place of either extreme vulnerability or extreme excitement. And if we think of it that way, music is very powerful and very dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's a great responsibility of whoever is in charge of selecting music selecting musicians for their church to know that, mm -hmm. to know the impact that music has. Because think of your childhood. Mm -hmm. There are songs that stick out in your mind that defined an era for you. Mm -hmm. Like if you think of a specific dark time in your life, there's a song that comes along with it that you probably played on loop during that time. Mm -hmm because it, 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 it meshed with your emotion at the time. Mm -hmm. And it can be used correctly. And I, I am one when I do sing for, when they invite me to sing at churches or retreats, uh, spiritual retreats, I always meditate, I always pray first. It's something, and it's always changing. I never have like a set list of songs. That's the song I'm going to sing because it's a flowing thing. I let God guide it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it happens in the spur of the moment as a technical problem. I forgot the track to the song I was supposed to sing. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I forgot it. I don't have time to go back and look for it. This is the one I have. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly that was the, the preacher stands up and it was the sermon he was going to give. Mm -hmm. That's the power of music and sometimes a song can be be a sermon 
and there's a there's a I'm a Broadway geek. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm a Broadway nerd. There's a song from Ragtime that say that says your song can be a sermon or the power of the pen. So turn it around. The ser- your song, the sermon can be a song. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, if we don't have theology based music in our churches, which is what I'm seeing and I'm very worried about lately, that I'm seeing a lot of worship music that is, it talks about an other, but it doesn't say who that other is or that you're glorifying or that you are, or it centers too much on you, on, on your, on your, what you're going to gain, or it centers too much in that God sacrifices have only for you and for God, all the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. And we need to be careful. I think all music we, we choose has to have a theological base mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere. And I'm one that looks for it. If it doesn't, I don't sing it. Mm-hmm. It can have the best melody. Mm-hmm. It can have the best rhythm. I can hear it and I can see and I can feel, oh my God, this is such soothing, soothing. And I can like it. But I say that part, that sentence, that does not go with what's said in the Bible. It's not theologically correct. Mm -hmm. It's not. And and if I'm going to sing it, then I'm going to be theologically incorrect. And... It, it, it hurts my, it, that's, that's not what I'm about. I'm a very theological based person. I'm a Baptist mm-hmm. we're based on the Bible. Mm-hmm. So we're very theology based. That's why we're very hymnal based still. Mm-hmm. But now even with the worship songs that we choose, especially in the church I go to, which is one of the most traditionalist ones still in, still in Puerto Rico, the Baptist churches, and one of the oldest, uh, 122 years. Now, the worship songs, we take very, a lot of, of, of careful thought into choosing them. Because not because, okay, now it's, it's on trend, it's the one that the youth is listening to, and we want to bring youth into our church, so mm-hmm. we're going to use music. Mm-hmm. And we're going to use the one that they're, they're hearing in the radio on the, all the time. But is that song telling them what they should be hearing? Or is that song just telling them, come here, you'll have a fun time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all of that is just such good stuff to think about. And um, I, I'm getting back into... Um, picking up my guitar again. I, um, been playing, well, technically I've been playing since I was 14. Um, and the outlet I finally started to find with guitar was doing music in, in my church. Then the pandemic hit and we kind of like shut everything that we were just getting started with sort of broadening the choir a little bit. And like, Hey, look, I have an acoustic guitar. Sometimes I can sing and play at the same time. Like, let's do this. Um, so, but but now finally, you know, I, I'm going in person again and we're we're ramping stuff up to sort of bring in bring in my guitar and, and all that. And just one thing that I think about a lot. I I had a lot of my formative theological years in um moderately conservative 
evangelical, like non-denominational types of, of churches here in the United States. So it was a very uh, contemporary worship style. You had a band on a stage in an auditorium with like- Very a, different. Yeah. Like mine yeah. was an organ, a piano, yeah. and the, the first drum set that was bought for the, for the church, I wrote a letter for it. <laughs> so yeah. it's not that old. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just, I, I just even think about the, the positioning of the musicians in relation to what people are seeing. So in my evangelical church that I grew up in, the stage was front and center and you saw it, you, you saw those band members up there and they were kind of the, the center of attention versus where things are positioned now. And part of the reason in my church now where we're, um, the church I go to now, the positioning is because we also, we have a hybrid service. And so we have some amount of space with the screen uh, set up and all of that. So the, but even before the pandemic, the choir was never front and center. The choir had their own little area. The piano's off to the side. Nothing's blocking the altar. So the people that are sitting in the congregation, they're not looking at the musicians as they're mm -hmm. singing. They're hearing the musicians, of course, but what they can see in their direct line of sight is, not the musicians versus in the evangelical church I went to, you, you're looking straight ahead and you see the musicians. And I don't, I don't think I can recall. I'm, I'm sure that I've definitely been in worship situations where the guitar player has taken a solo. I have feelings about like, even, even now, like thinking about certain songs that I might want to do in, in church. Um, and if there's a guitar solo in it, I'm like, well, not only would that be an extra thing to learn just besides doing learning the chords, but also I just think about like, do I, do I really need to? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's different. Like some, some songs, yeah. Some songs have like a riff, you know, a, a picked out melody or, or what have you. That's a little bit different, but then other, other times, you know, like, okay, this is definitely a solo. Does the instrument, yes. does the guitar especially um, need to take that? That's where I say also choosing the musicians is very important the mm -hmm. type of musician you choose when especially i saw this in in my church in the worship team but i've seen it in a lot of worship teams and i know that with the pandemic a lot of churches have gone hybrid and i can go online and see different services i see that i see that the they even have lights and then you only see mm -hmm. them the lights are only on the musicians and then there's this i'm a drummer I'm a percussionist. I'm the drum. I, I'm the drummer in my church. I accompany the choir. Mm -hmm. uh, with and I accompany the music that goes on. Mm -hmm. I do not accompany hymns because I respect the hymn, mm. and because being a music major, I know the author. I know the the theory about it. And I know he didn't meant for that for, for there to be a drum set in this mm -hmm. hymn. Right. <laughs> I don't, it's not the same thing as thinking it shouldn't be contemporized. It should mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. You can take the hymn and make an arrangement that is more worship-like and has more of the more contemporary instruments like electric mm -hmm. guitar and mm -hmm. stuff like that. You don't have to have the organ and the piano. You can do that, but you have to know when and where. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I play very basic when I play in church. When I say basic, I just stay to the rhythm just to mm -hmm. fill in the groove and to keep people, you know, 
especially to keep the choir on beat. That's really mm -hmm. my job. Yep. <laughs> keep the choir on beat. Yep. Uh, but the it also happens that people would ask me, why don't you do more more stuff? Why don't you do more fills? Why don't you do because I'm a the the choir is the important part of this. I'm just accompanying the, the, the choir. I'm not the the first person. The, I'm not the front person on this. Mm -hmm. And I never. And I don't want to take that. If if people look at me because it, it was a little strange before I transitioned. Oh, you're seeing a girl in heels playing drums. Mm -hmm. So people looked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I wouldn't. But but I'm I'm also very small. I'm not mm -hmm. tall. So the drum kit covers most of me. Mm -hmm. So I'm never the 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 top of the, the star of attention, never. But mm -hmm. when I sing, when they invite me to sing a solo, then I am. But even then, you have to be careful mm -hmm. because you you can't sing when I and I and I think of it this way: you can't sing from your ego. Mm -hmm. Right. It's different, and when you talk about how the stage is set up, it's because it turns it into a perform performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why we see, oh, the, the guitarist now is doing a solo. And then there's this interlude of 30 minutes where no one is singing or doing anything because we're listening to the guitarist, then the bass, then the drums. Everyone is doing their solo. Mm -hmm. And OK. But did that bring people closer to God? I can get, uh, I get instrumental music behind mm -hmm. if you if you want to, not to invoke an emotion. If you want, if it's already there and you just want to bring support to it, not mm -hmm. to create it. The one who creates it, God creates it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, he creates it in, in what you feel around you, in the word and, and the prayers and everything. And the music should go with that. It shouldn't be a music show. We stop and then we have our sermon. Right. Everything should be one cohesive thing. It should it should seem like the the preacher chose the song and chose the or the everyone did it together because it's because it's one thing mm -hmm. it's it's supposed to have one goal if you give if you spout off too many goals like if if your worship team is trying to excite people but the preacher is going to preach about something a bit more solemn mm -hmm. and wants people to reflect and to really think and uh, think about themselves, introspect. You're getting two very conflicting things to do at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Two different messages at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, music wins mm -hmm. most most of the time. People tend to go and choose at first glance mu the music. Mm -hmm. because it makes me feel more than just words. Mm -hmm. But 
again, that's where I think it's part of the musician also to know that they have a great responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it's part of whoever uh, manages the worship team or if the church has a worship leader to keep up on this topic and keep, you know, uh, their eye on what are we doing and to listen. Another problem with musicians, we are always serving, we're always giving. Mm -hmm. We never get to sit down and listen to a whole service mm -hmm. because we're thinking now we need to, okay, this song is coming up. Yep. Now I need to, what, what chords mm -hmm. were this song? What? Mm -hmm. And also pastors need to know the musicians need to receive as well. Mm -hmm. And the musicians sometimes need a break. And you can tell them you have a week off or you have the next two weeks off or you have for this month, another group is going to take care of the music. Mm -hmm. So that group can, you know, get some R&R &R mm -hmm. while another group is playing. Things like that, you know, mm -hmm. because it is very important. Music mm -hmm. is very important, especially when we talk about trying to bring new ideas and bring youth, newer thoughts, newer people, uh, or even people that left because of the bigot, bigoted thoughts and bigoted ideas back mm -hmm. into the church can be music. Mm -hmm. And I see that. I see people connecting with me and thinking, I and saying to me, I, I don't like Christianity. Like mm -hmm. I have nightmares about crosses. They told me, like they said, mm -hmm. like in my nightmares, I see crosses and that mm -hmm. freaks me out. But you're the only Christian I like. Yep. yep. And I'm like, but I'm not a good, I'm not even a good Christian. I, I would tell them I'm not even a good Christian. Mm -hmm. But, and they would say, it's exactly because of that. Since you don't want judgment, you don't judge. Mm -hmm. And they feel safe. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. And, and yeah, just, it's so the whole thing about keeping, keeping the ego in check, I don't want to fling stereotypes about, but uh, guitar players can be divas. Um, people in choir can be diva. Like you, we all know. Divas. Yeah. Yeah. We all know, like everybody can, can be a little diva. And I think it's hard because for, for me, Music is not the art that I've also made a side hustle. Um, my, I have a day job, but I'm also an author. I write books um, and, and poetry and things like that. So, so music, because I'm not trying to make it a profession, it's, I think it's a little bit easier for me to, and I'm not very much of an ego forward person anyway. Like I never, even though my, my dad's always like, you're a really good player. You, just, just take, take solos. I would taking solos, even in doing a 12 bar, like type of thing just always made me nervous. Um, not, I mean, I can do it, but just, so I just never really personally had much of a need to be like, let me, let me show off, um, my guitar playing skills on this really my, my motivations for bringing the, bringing my guitar to, to church is like, there's certain music certain bands that I do like that I think and the songs and the messaging would be very appropriate that, 
you know, I, I can bring in because I, I know them or can learn them pretty easily. I can work really easily with the choir too. just give me, give me the sheet music with the, with the chords and I can accompany, you know, um, it's, that that's really what it what it's about and and because i'm like trying to not put a lot of pressure on myself either it's just so much easier to be like yep i'll just i i can i can accompany like it's not i don't need to be to you know there's no need to to be front and center to have a to have an ego about it although i i can empathize with people who like are musicians and that's the thing that they're trying to do professionally it can musicians be really hard tend to have an ego yeah. we do yeah some of us have it more under control and some of us are self-deprecating like I am. <laughs> we take it to one extreme or the other. Either mm-hmm. we're too humble or we are too egotistical. Mm-hmm. When we get to the middle is when we start playing from the heart. And that's mm-hmm. what you're saying. When you don't play for money, when you don't play because your career is playing, mm-hmm. there is less pressure. There mm-hmm. is a lot of less pressure. Yeah. Because it's not the same, me being just Ilan Carlos accompanying a choir, than me being Ilan Carlos with a BA major in music mm-hmm. accompanying a choir. Right. The expectations are different mm-hmm. from the audience to, and you never know who's in the audience. It can right. be a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if it says that you're already a musician and you have studies in it, and you don't play at a, at the height they think you should be playing, mm-hmm. well, that can hurt your reputation. You never know who that person is. Mm-hmm. It can be an agent. It can be a, prop, a producer. It can be yep. anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult. But I learned from my grandfather. My grandfather is a Baptist pastor, retired, but he was for a long, for many, many years. And he's also, he sings. He has a great mm-hmm. voice. Uh, he, he uh, at his 80, almost 90 years, still has a voice that carries and can fill a whole church without a microphone. He has mm-hmm. this potent voice and amazing. I can do He's my role model. And he would tell me, because even in, in, in churches, they tend to, when they invite a person to to do a special participation or something, mm-hmm. to give them an, an offering or give them something for, for, for being there for their time. For, and I always had a hard time with that. And I, and I told my grandfather, I have a hard time receiving. Mm-hmm. Or when they, told, when they tell me, how much do you, do you normally ask for? Mm-hmm. Whatever you give me. And if you have nothing, nothing. Because this is, for me, a, is fulfilling a pact, a vow I made with God, which is to serve him mm-hmm. and to take to go wherever he takes me. So I'm not here because I'm going to get paid. Uh, I've uh, rec- even re- I'm, I'm on, I've even recorded for a choir of a church and they asked me, we don't have many funds. We can you, your, your name will be on the credits. Do you still want the financial compensation too, or forget the financial compensation? Don't don't worry about it. This was for the church. It was part of my ministry. I did it. My, I did it, so my name should be on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the credit should be on it. But but as compensation, as money wise, or something like that, 
I have a hard time with it. And with compliments. Uh, one, one time I, the first time I sang after transitioning with my new voice, a very dear member of the congregation came to me and uh, I care for him so much. And he came and told me, you started singing and I just, I, I just stopped seeing you. I just saw an angel. It's yeah. like, how do you respond to that? Yeah. And I always go inside myself and I go, thank you, but that's God's work and not me. And I always distance myself from what I do to what the person receives, the message the person receives. Mm -hmm. Because even though I choose songs that have a message for, and, and it's, I do it for a reason, it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I choose it because it spoke to me. If it didn't say anything to me, I'm not gonna sing it. Mm -hmm. First it has to say something to me. If it doesn't bring me anything, I'm not going to sing it. But me singing a song, it was very personal. It was a song. I It's a popular song. It's not a, the melody is from a popular song. Mm -hmm. But I wrote a Christian slash testimony lyrics to it. Mm -hmm. It's based on the melody of Only Hope from the movie I Walk to Remember. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote a lyric that's basically my testimony of my transition. And I sang it. Asked like I was, I was thinking this is my first coming out into the church as as Ilan Carlos. So this is a good song to bring. Plus, it speaks about being in your lowest point and realizing God is your only way out and saying, "Here I give, I give myself to you, and now you are my song. I don't sing now. You sing through me." Mm -hmm. That was my message. That wasn't what that person received. He he attached it to his own journey. Mm -hmm. I I I was talking about a transition from female female to male. This whole thing, telling my parents, my family. He saw it from another point of view, but it touched him the same. So that's why I distanced myself myself from the compliments. Because at the end of the day, I'm not the one singing. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I am merely a vessel. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely what, when music functions as iconography at its best um, in a worship setting, that is absolutely what happens. And um, just, I we could, we could go on and on, I'm sure, like talking about the... The power of music and how and how music has uh, you know the darker side of it, the manipulation of spiritual experiences and the, and the intentional conjuring of um, certain certain spiritual experiences to sort of make it, it's a it's an entire entire thing for and, sure. And it's upsetting that it's that it's focused on youth mm -hmm. and when there are the most vulnerable ages and uh, impressionable ages. Uh, yeah, it's very. It's, it, it's disappointing to musicians like mm -hmm. me who take pride in what we do mm -hmm. to see it misused. Yeah. It's absolutely. like, I, I can imagine it was like, it's what if you invent something, then they take it and they deconstruct it and they mm -hmm. 
take it and, and, and now it's used to harm. And you, but no, what I made was this to heal people. And now you've taken it and twisted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I take issue with that, but, and, and I see it happening a lot more in the U.S. Mm -hmm. than here in Puerto Rico, because here what I'm seeing is more going back to the, mm to the more evangelical side, but more Old Testament type of coritos, what we call coritos, there are more that still that have their issues as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But music, just like church, isn't it? It's something man-made. Well, music isn't man-made. Music was always there. Mm -hmm. But the way we've we structured it, mm -hmm. we've structured it. Music has always existed. We just put a name to it. Mm -hmm. It's like music theory. Mm -hmm. The theory did, didn't exist before music. Music right. existed, existed, existed first mm -hmm. as a way to explain music. We turned to a theory mm -hmm. and we to explain what Beethoven did, what Mozart mm -hmm. did, what Bach did. Right. But that didn't come first. Mm -hmm. No one sat down writing this chord must be followed by this one right <laughs> and then beethoven took that paper and wrote the fifth symphony right <laughs> no beethoven wrote the fifth symphony then a, 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 an investigator took that piece of music studied it noticed some patterns noticed a structure gave it name Mm -hmm. And now that is a symphony. That is what we call a symphony because it has this part, it has this, it has the other, it has the other. Mm -hmm. But it it was always there. It's mm -hmm. not something that, and music will always be there. Mm -hmm. The thing is how to use it. It's mm -hmm. like religion. I don't like to talk a lot of, I don't refer to myself as religious. I have faith. Mm -hmm in God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe he is my savior. And I believe that he died for my sins. And I believe in eternal life through his sacrifice. But religion is man-made and constructed, mm -hmm. which makes it imperfect from its inception, because humans are imperfect. Mm -hmm. That that essentially brings problems into it from the very beginning. So I learned during the, my transition process, when I delved deep into the Bible and I delved deep into the context of the text I was, re I was reading, because it's, not one, it's one thing to cite Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to go into the context of when that was written why it was written and where and what was happening in that time, why that language is the way it is. That's when I noticed that it, during my transition, not only my connection with God became stronger, my ability to be sensitive to how music could impact people became more tuned because 
that connection, feeling that connect, deeper relationship with God gave me that, that sense of discernment of being able to, and, and it also happens when I, sometimes I hear people preach and it, and it sounds like a self-help seminar, or it mm -hmm. sounds like let preach, preach all you can and, and money will just will appear in your, in your bank account. Mm -hmm. Give, give, give your tithing and more money will appear in your bank account magically. And I always say, prayer isn't a, ma a magic spell and God doesn't have a magic wand. He doesn't say abracadabra mm -hmm. and things happen. Prayer has to be followed by action. Music has to be followed by action. Everything we do, if we do it for a purpose, has to be followed by an action. And it has to be an action that goes along with the purpose. It can't fight against it. But for that, we need to, to deep, dig deeper into ourselves than we are. Uh, I think a lot of musicians get stuck in that ego trip and then it turns into a performance. I can be a performer, mm -hmm. but that has another place. Mm -hmm. When I sing in a wedding, I'm not gonna sing, oh, like I sing in a church. I'm singing as a performer because I want them to, to contract mm -hmm. me again for something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trying to entertain. Mm -hmm. Music in church should not be entertainment. And we're turning it into entertainment. Mm -hmm. And we see that because people are flocking to churches with the biggest worship teams, mm -hmm. with the lights, with the Coliseum type buildings, mm -hmm. because we want a concert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so this is a little bit a little bit of a, of a tangent, um, but not not too much of one. One of my favorite bands is Me Without You. Um, they, they're awesome. I can talk all day long about them. Um, very philosophical and theological and spiritual in their lyrics. I can go to a Me Without You show and I can feel a spiritual experience similar to what I feel in church. It's not me worshiping the band or anything creepy like that. It's it's like you were talking about before, how the band is a conduit. The band is a conduit for 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 God, it is functioning to me as, as a pointer to, you know, the greater divine reality. Um, the, the band is not always intending to, to do that. A lot of fans will kind of agree with what I'm saying. A lot of people kind of feel the same that, that I do, but also have that line of like, it's, it's not about the band members themselves doing that. It's just, you know, and they even would find it a little bit uncomfortable to like be, to have such that such responsibility on, on top of them. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I like, I don't, no, if I want to go to a concert, music, yeah. even in concerts, if you're talking about classical music that doesn't have lyrics, instrumental, let's talk mm -hmm. about something completely abstract, Bach, you're going mm -hmm. to see a concert of the Philar New York Philharmonic mm -hmm. do a series on Bach. Our job is, we have a job as musicians mm -hmm. and our job has to, every job provokes change. Mm -hmm. A teacher changes their student. A doctor changes their patient. No one leaves the doctor's office the same way they came in. Well, it should be the same way with music. Mm -hmm. If 
someone, we as musicians have a responsibility that not many musicians want to have because they want to see it as entertainment and that gives them a way to not have, not have much responsibility about what emotions I'm causing to who mm -hmm. hears me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm talking about entertainment and I can say, well, if you don't like to hear me, switch the, switch the station or turn on Spotify and hear whatever you want to hear. Mm -hmm. But when you're a true musician, and when I say a true musician, is you know, it doesn't have to have a diploma. It doesn't have to have formal, formal education, academia, nothing like that. A true musician is sensitive. A true musician is an empath. A true musician feels deeply. I think that's why we find many artists that suffer from depression very deeply. Mm -hmm. And we find a lot of artists that struggle with mental health because artists feel more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you take the responsibility that other people are going to be feeling because you're feeling, it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I get the, the, the idea of, okay, maybe I want to, I, I want to distance myself from that. And I don't want, because it's too much of a responsibility, but it is our job. Our job is to change who came into the concert. And even if it is, they came stressed. Mm -hmm. To, and because they listened to Bach and it was soothing and they played it well, they did their job correctly. The person leaves with peace of mind, mm -hmm. useless anxious. Mm -hmm. the, the, the unique thing about doing it in church is that it has to have a deeper purpose than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one way to, to just sum it up, too, is, is like if I want to go to a concert, I'll go to a show. But when I go to church, like it, I don't go to church to go to a concert um, is kind of a, another way to, to put it. But this is um, this has been a very like awesome conversation. We've we've gone in all kinds of great little directions. Um, where can people keep up with you and your work? Drop any website, social media, whatever. Uh, let us well, know. Well, you can find me on Facebook, Ilan Carlos Pabellón Roman. Ilan, I-L-A-N, Carlos Pabellón is P-A-B-E-L-L-O-N, Roman, R-O-M-A-N. You can find me there. I also have Instagram. Ilan, I-L-A-N underscore Carlos underscore music with a K at the end, M-U-S-I-K. And if you want uh, another, I work as a, in, in a nonprofit as an advisor sometimes. It's a great nonprofit here in Puerto Rico who works with trans visibility, especially it's called True Self Foundation. They have a Facebook page and they have an Instagram, both under the same handle, True Self Foundation, True Self Foundation. And that's where I did a lot of my support group work. And, 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 they, can, and they have a lot of informational material. Uh, they have a lot of resources for trans people, legal resources for people in the island here, who are looking to do their name change, stuff like that. 
they help with all of that. They even do scholarships for trans students. Uh, they're a great, great nonprofit. And uh, I have the blessing to, to be a part of that nonprofit in a small way, but uh, it was the nonprofit that started me in being active and fighting and for visibility of the trans men community in specific. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for such a great conversation and a great uh, sharing. A little caveat, my my Instagram is mostly my music. So if you want to hear my music, you go to my Instagram. My Facebook is more to keep up on what I'm doing. You might find my music there too. But there's also if I'm speaking at a certain church or if I'm doing something else, you'll, you'll also get a little glimpse of who I am. Uh, behind, you know, the the voice and the, the, the video you see here and the the voice that you can hear on, on Instagram live, <laughs> on Instagrams and my Instagram lives that I do. But you can find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been fantastic. It was my pleasure. And really, it was a great conversation. And uh, I didn't even think we would get into so many topics as we did, but I'm great. I'm glad we did because these are topics that need to be spoken about and that people need to hear and hear people that are different talking about them. Uh, we are people, if we talk just about gender identity, we're very different people. Mm-hmm. You and I, and we're talking about this, and there's, people can see there's no conflict. We can mm-hmm. disagree, we can agree on some things, but that doesn't mean that we can't, you know, have a conversation that's respectful and judgment-free and safe. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. On behalf of Encuentros Latinx, we hope you'll join us on our next Encuentro.